I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The Final Edition Radio Hour is a work of satire intended for people who own books, gentrify neighborhoods, and say they like kale. Please consume responsibly the satire, that is. Hi, I'm Jeff Chrysler, and I'm fake Tony Hendra, and this is the Final Edition Radio Hour. Now, we haven't come to you with this little opening segment in quite some while. We've just been too busy yelling at the news. I became an American citizen to escape stupidity, but then I go here, I'm like, oh, it's here, I'm going to go back to the UK, but then the UK voted out, but I'm back here. It's all very confusing. It is very confusing, Tony. As your listeners, our loyal fans... We hope that the Final Edition Radio Hour can continue to bring you some laughter and peace in these oh-so-confusing times. And if you like what you hear, look, Crocodile Dundee, this is part of the reason why we haven't done this in a while, is because you're freaking... eh. If you like what you hear, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, share, tell your friends, email us, tell us what you like, buy our album, go visit our site, send the love, and we will give it to you back in spades and send some more might mom that's until then god this is why we this is i can't oh what's your problem jeff is my problem Mm. this is the final edition radio hour the final edition asks the man on the street what are your plans for summer? I'm going to masturbate twice. The whole summer. Twice. I'm going to go visit my very real boyfriend in Canada. What's weird is I texted myself you up and I wasn't. I'm going to get skin cancer. I'm going to get thin cancer. Wouldn't thin cancer, cancer of the thin, just mean you were really fat? I'm going to smear sunscreen all over my summer reading list. I'm illiterate. I'm going to get swept out to sea. I'm going to get a tan. And then I'm going to get a man. And then I'm going to get a plan. Then I'm going to get a canal. I'm going to die for Allah. I'm going to try sleeping with a black guy for the first time. I'm going to try sleeping with a black guy for the fifth time. And I'm Tiffany. And we're the Trump sisters. As the president's daughters, we know the president and the men that surround him 
Very well. And that's why we're calling this segment The White in the Men's House. The Men in the White House. It's the same thing. So today we're talking about the men in the White House. Or around the White House. Not around the White House. Tiffany, in the White House. Well, I want to talk about that cute Ryan guy, and I'm not sure he's in the White House. What Ryan guy? The famous one. Gosling? No, the really famous one. Reynolds? No, Ryan, the Speaker of the House. Oh, Paul Ryan. Yeah, he's a cutie. I give him eyes every time I see him. You have a boyfriend. Yeah, but his name's not Ryan. No, his name's not Ryan. Can we get back to discussing the white in the men's house? I mean, the men in the White House. Sure. You want to start with Sean Spicy? Spicer! He's wonderful. He's a wonderful president's press secretary. I think he looks like a potato head. Do you find that weird when they call a man a secretary? I've always found that kind of weird. Maybe that's why he's so angry all the time. Do you think he finds that emasculating? Sean Spicer has a very important job. Can you imagine what it's like to try and correct everything that your father gets wrong? Oh, now he's my father. Just when he gets things wrong? Are you saying I was a mistake? Let's talk about Steve Bannon, shall we? Sure. He's as white as they get in the men's house. Whatever you think about him, Steve Bannon's rise from Breitbart fame to the White House has been nothing short of extraordinary. Well, Bart Simpson's rise to fame was nothing short of extraordinary, but I wouldn't want him advising the president. Next up, Jared Kushner. How about Mike Pence, vice president and second in command? Really? He's second in command? Mike Pence? Vice president of the United States of America? Doesn't get much seconder than that. He seems a little quiet to be in command of anything, don't you think? What about Jared Kushner? He's been pretty quiet lately. Lying low is how I think the press is phrasing it. Sarah Huckabee. Not white nor male, but still second in line to Sean Spicer for the press secretary position. Well, first of all, I'm pretty sure she's white. She's from the Mid-South and her last name is Huckabee. But the title of press secretary is certainly a better fit than with Sean Spicy. Call me a genderphobe, but a male secretary. And then there's Jared Kushner. And that's all the time we have for this segment called The White in the Men's House. The Men in the White House. God, why are you so insistent on bringing Jared Kushner into this discussion? Why are you so insistent on leaving him out? Do you seriously not know what trouble we're in? Why would I want to bring attention to him when he's off talking to Russia? He could go to jail! Ladies, we're still recording. Okay, well stop recording! So, in conclusion, I'm pulling out of the Paris Accord. It's an unfair deal, and it's bad for coal miners, who I happen to love, by the way. Who I hope are listening to me right now, by the way. Because I'm fulfilling my campaign promise, by the way. And I also love Russia, by the way. But I wish you didn't know that, by the way. And I love Father's Day, by the way. Though I happen to hate my own dad, by the way. He never hugged me, by the way. And I happen to love being president, by the way. It's adding years to my life, by the way. I'll dance on your grave, by the way. I will slow dance on your grave with Melania, by the way. And now, I'll turn it over to the head of the APA, Scott Pruitt, who I happen to love, by the way, who I absolutely adore, by the way, who I'd let love me dearly, by the way. Scotty, baby? Uh, yes. As the president explained, we're exiting the Paris Accord. Kiss me, Scotty. Not now, sir. And 
now the waitress who can't take anyone's order properly. Here you are, sir. Lobster ravioli with white sauce and a side house salad, no tomatoes. Mmm, this is delicious. Thank you so much. Wait, what? This is supposed to be the waitress who can't take anyone's order properly, but you didn't do that. Sorry, I wanted to give a good service to make a better tip. I have a family to provide for. God damn it, I have to do everything myself. Give me back that food. No, I'm hungry. I said give it to me. Let go. Hey. Now, what can I get you? Uh, the food that I already ordered that you just took away. Oh, this plate right here? There. There's your food. And that was the announcer who pretended to be a waiter but turned out to be a real asshole. And I lived up to that. It's time to meet the final edition Radio Hour's chaplain and End Times advisor, Pastor John Hagee of Cornerstone Church in San Antonio, Texas. Here's Pastor John with another End Times God podcast. Today, why Christians must wipe out the environment. Folks ask me, Reverend, how come we need laws against witchcraft? Because the heathen practice witchcraft, and environmentalists are heathens. Witches and warlocks who worship the moon and trees. They hug trees and fornicate with them. They kidnap Christian babies with long-range magic and feed them to endangered species. The environment is heathen. Do endangered species worship the Lord and sing hymns and raise their children in the fear of the Lord? No. They sit around never doing a lick of work, naked as the day they was born, with their sex doodads banging around between the legs and fornicating with any female that comes down the trail. The environment is dark-sided. The environment sends us hurricanes, tsunamis, snowstorms, forest fires, floods, pestilence, Where does a plague of frogs come from, or boils, or black fly? From some fine Christian oil or coal company? No siree, Bob. They come from the environment. Without strip mining, and clear cutting, and bulldozing. Without chemicals, and pollutants, and the Army Corps of Engineers. God bless their holy earth movers. We would be engulfed in a nightmare called the environment. Hungry. Thirsty, cold, and naked, having spotted owls and Canada geese pecking out our eyes, having our steaming entrails ripped from our bellies by polar bears and snail darters. Every single one of these heathen killers coming from where, brethren and sistren? Idaho? No, the environment. The Lord God gave us the environment to wipe out. The Lord wants a planet stripped of heathen trees and sinful species. Oceans emptied of fat, lazy whales and free-loading baby seals. He doesn't want to see a speck of green. Green makes the Lord see red. Green is the color of envy and witch vomit. God wants a spotless white planet, ready for him to destroy utterly when he returns. For the Messiah is coming, America. Wherefore, rejoice. Looking to be blunt with Mary Jane for crashing at your joint? 
loaded up on Scooby Snacks and seeking a way to burn through your supply? Well, come on down to Dr. Gonzo's 420 Smokehouse, where we sell a wide variety of tobacco and tobacco-related accessories. Here at Dr. Gonzo's 420 Smokehouse, we sell everything from papers and baggies to the latest hookahs, water pipes, and vapes. For tobacco. Hey man, you sell anything for smoking weed? No, we do not sell anything for marijuana. Well, you have like reggae and blacklight posters and lava lamps. This isn't Colorado, Washington State, Oregon, Alaska, Washington DC, California, Nevada, Massachusetts, or Maine. Marijuana isn't legal here, so these giant elaborate pipes are designed exclusively for smoking tobacco, ginseng, or the wildly popular chicory root. It's harsh, man. Why, why can't you just be honest about all this? Because the police would shut us down and I'm supporting five hungry little white kids with dreadlocks. Now, check out over here, this huge bong embossed with the Grateful Dead insignia. Just perfect for a full, creamy pipe tobacco. And what goes well with smoking straight Turkish blend leaf out of a tiny bowl at the end of a four-foot-long glass pipe? Doritos, or raw cookie dough from the Piggly Wiggly next door. Excuse me! Do you sell marijuana paraphernalia at this establishment? Why, no, officer. We do not. Good. I'll take a pack of Camel Lights. Certainly. Would you care for a life-size skull-shaped pipe to smoke that out of? Sure would. That'd be perfect for smoking weed, too, man. And yet you can't. So come on down to Dr. Gonzo's 420 Smokehouse at the corner of Thompson Street and R. Crumb Boulevard for tobacco stuff. By the way, yeah. by the way, 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 Tony, we gotta come up with a promo. Our listeners don't know enough about all the great stuff the final edition does. Even when we tell them it's all this like blah 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 dot 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 www URL crap. No one gets what that is on radio. They just tune it out. Well, I have the perfect way to hold their attention while we give them the goods. When I was at the National Lampoon in the 70s, our most famous cover had a cute mutt with a 38 Magnum to its head and the legend. Buy this magazine or we'll shoot this dog. Yeah, I remember that, but how does that help us? It was a visual image for a magazine. Meet Freckles. Oh, freckles? Oh, there, there. Good boy. What's the matter then? Also, meet my 38 Magnum. Jesus Christ, you have a gun? Don't wave that thing around here. Is that thing loaded? Sure is. Hey, listeners to the final edition Radio Hour on Progressive Voices on TuneIn. If you don't stay tuned to this promo while Jeff gives you all the necessary info about our fabulous website and our fabulous YouTube channel and other fabulous stuff we do, I will shoot this dog. Jesus, man, take the gun out of that defenseless animal's ear. Uh-uh. Give him a good, Jeff. Oh, my God, poor Freckles. Okay, fine. Hey, listeners to the Final Edition Radio Hour, you want more of what we do, go to thefinaledition.com. Our radio airs on this network on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday at 8, as well as Wednesday at midnight. We've also got an album, we've got a Twitter feed, we've got a great YouTube channel, Facebook, everything you can want at thefinaledition.com. Now, 
Tell them to tap all that into their iPhones or leave themselves an audio memo. No, I won't. I told them enough, Tony. I'm calling me a... Tell them, tell them, or the dog gets it. I'm cocking the gun right now. Okay, listeners, uh, please, uh, write this down. Thefinaladdition.com. Thefinaladdition.com. Go there for everything you want from the final edition or this crazy old British coot is going to plug old freckles. Okay, that wasn't so hard, was it? Come here, freckles, you dumb old chum. Hey, hey, get down! Get, get down! Get away from me! Get you crazy! Good uh, job, Freckles! Get, get him! Sick him! Oh, yeah, this is Jeff Chrysler for the final edition of Radio oh, Hour on Progressive Voices on oh, TuneIn. 8 p.m. Saturday, Sunday, and Monday nights. Midnight on Wednesday. No, Freckles, put that thing down! You don't have opposable thumbs! No! I'm so excited. I got my Wonder Woman tickets. Really? You're going to go see that garbage? Of course. I've been a fan since I was a kid, and it's getting great reviews. <laughs> yeah, sure it is. Are you just being like one of those Ghostbuster bros? No. I mean, that was different. There was there was no need to remake that with women. A Wonder Woman is supposed to be a woman, but technically she's supposed to be a little bit more woman than the chick that's playing her. So you're part of the her boobs aren't big enough contingent. Look, she's supposed to be a goddess from another planet. So she has to be held to the male gay standards of our planet? Are you talking about Wonder Woman? Yeah, I am stoked to go see it. Mm-hmm. What? You didn't like it? I did not see it. I don't know how I feel about watching the biggest female superhero to date, who also had to be a beauty pageant winner to get the part. Yeah, you're just jealous. Wait, I thought you just said that she wasn't hot enough. Um... No, I'm not jealous. She's beating up men. Can't we have someone like Serena Williams or Ronda Rousey as our hero, not just some object? But I've actually heard that she's really not being objectified. No. Last I checked, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, and Iron Man don't have 80% of their emaciated, exfoliated, bronze flesh exposed. That's kind of just the nature of comic books, though, isn't it? They're sexy and empowered. (laughs) Feminism 2.0. Look, I just think it's so great that a female director is pulling in those numbers. Yeah, it's like affirmative action, you know, excessive marketing, playing the woman card. Of course everyone's going to go and pretend they like it just because it takes jobs away from men. Do you know how much pressure it was for Patty Jenkins to be good? This is like the bridesmaids of superhero movies. Wait, are you defending it now? I thought you're not going because it offends your pantsuit-loving sensibilities. I'm not. Don't baby feminists explain me. The movie is anti-feminist smut. Hmm, maybe I will go see it. Wait, you're from Lebanon, though. I thought everyone from Lebanon is boycotting it. Yeah, just because she's Israeli? No, it's because she's a terror-loving Zionist. No, she's just an actor. Leave it to an out-of-touch Hollywood liberal elite to say that. I am a barista from the Rust Belt. Then you, of all people, should know how much this means. Huh? Hashtag resist. Hashtag make Make movies movies great great again. again. Hashtag still Still with with her. her. Hashtag lock her up. Hashtag yes Yes, yes, all women. Hashtag geek lives matter. Guys? What? I have no idea what just happened. 
But I bought three tickets, and the movie is about to start. Do you want to go? I don't have to pay. My treat. I mean, she is a female director. You can like write a think piece about it afterwards or something. Hashtag Oscar so male.、Mm, hashtag he for she. What? You're, You're a, a feminist? feminist? Yeah. That creeping in the hall, listening through your bedroom wall. It's invasive, Larry, the living landlord. That's me. So yeah, Marion, if you just want to put your stuff down here, we'll go make dinner. Yeah, I'm starving. That was the longest movie ever. Ugh, your landlord is on the couch again. <sighs> Larry, wake up! Your ball is hanging out all over the place. Oh, oh, God! Hey, have some respect, kid. That little guy went out of commission in Nam. He's basically a disabled veteran to you. It's just every time I come home, you're on the couch, passed out. Hey, this is my home too, and I gave you a discount on utilities last month. Fine, whatever. This is Marion, by the way. Hey, you know who you look like? A young Angela Lansbury. I used to have a collage of her black and white photos. Kind of peaked when she hit 23. Not you though. You look like you'll hold up nice, real nice. <laughs> you ever heard that before? Nope, can't say that I have. Okay then, we're gonna go hang out in the kitchen. Hey, while you're in there, make me a sandwich, ham and provolone. Mash up the avocado real nice in the sriracha. No chunks, you hear me? No chunks. Oh, and I noticed a bunch of tiny scratches on your bedroom door. I'm gonna need you to take it down, sand it, and restain it. This house was built in the early 1900s, and I've only been here two months. Okay, it's normal wear and tear. Nah, I'm pretty sure those are new scratches, Chief. I don't make the rules. I just live by them. Fine, we'll see you later. Oh, and one more thing. I noticed the light fixture and ceiling above your bed fell down. You gotta vacuum that asbestos up ASAP. Uh, what were you doing in my bedroom? There's asbestos all over my bed now. Ugh. Okay, I I can't take this right now. Sorry, Marion. Let's just go into the kitchen. Sure. Ah, what the hell? What the? There's a raccoon in the sink. Oh, that's Charlie. It's his bath time. By the way, you were short on tiny towels and shampoo. You might want to run out and get some more. I had to use some of your sweaters. And is he eating my package of salmon? My grandmother shipped that for me from Alaska right before she died. Hey, that was in the freezer. Ergo, it's up for grabs. Look at him. He loves it. Okay, I can't do this anymore. Joel, what are you doing with that broken beer bottle? Hey, hey, what's going on in here? No, no, no! You put Charlie down, Joel. Yeah! You punted him out the window. Oh, you just got yourself evicted, buddy. Charlie was a rescue raccoon. Now he'll never trust me again. I'm gonna slice your neck open. What? The salmon is what took you over the edge? Really? <laughs> All right, buddy. Let's go. Jealous, Miss Lansbury? You know I feel like we already know each other pretty well. You know your late night vocals don't leave much to the imagination, if you know what I mean. Okay, well, Joel, I think we should probably break up.、Uh, what? What? I, no, I spent over five hundred dollars on you last weekend. Hey, that's not okay. Joel here is a good guy. Hey, look, it's Charlie. He's back. Charlie, get the girl. Hey! No! 
Let go of my neck! boy, Charlie! Sick her! Larry, I appreciate it, but that was probably unnecessary. She might have rabies now. Babies? Oh, oh, I'm sorry, buddy. I had no idea. He said rabies. I have to get to the hospital? Hey, good riddance, Chica. She was just using you, buddy. You see, Joel, I'm just looking for a little emotional support is all. Are you cradling me? I thought Charlie could do that for me. But all he does is eat and poop. And you got those big muscular arms. I feel safe. I'm sorry I punted your rescue raccoon out the window. Hey, you know what? Let's just say you read us a bedtime story and we'll call it even, alright? Sure thing, Larry. Sure thing. Street. 
see your face on Skype and MySpace. I'll follow you there by watching Foursquare. I also began a subreddit in your name. Never mind, I'll find more about you. I'll watch Yelp for everything that you Welcome back to the final edition Radio Hour. One of the great pleasures and honors of my life is to be a part of the storytelling group, The Moth. The Moth, which began in the late 90s as a small group of friends, telling stories in cramped living rooms, is now a far-flung international community with storytelling programs all over the world, from LA to Sydney to Nairobi to Dublin and many places in between. We've even done a moth in Kazakhstan. This year, and specifically this week, is the 20th birthday of the moth. To celebrate that amazing achievement, here's one of my favorite moth stories, which I told in 2009 at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. So let's hear it for Tony Hendraff. It's uh, 1982. I am sitting in a sumptuous uh, beach house in Malibu watching uh, a magnificent Pacific sunset. And this is shaping up as the worst day of my life. Uh, I was in Los Angeles for two reasons. First, to promote my latest satirical publication. And secondly, to appear in a low-budget movie, uh, which was the directorial debut of an old friend of mine. Uh, I wasn't terribly keen about this, never having been in a movie, and he had some deranged notion about shooting it like a documentary. Um, uh, the satirical, satirical publication was much more my speed. Um, it was a time, as you probably remember, when there was a man in the White House who was talking quite blithely and frequently about a winnable nuclear war against the godless Soviets. And some of us in, um, in, in New York had decided this was a, st a satirical opportunity. And uh, we'd, um, we'd put together this, uh, this parody pamphlet of, um, of, of the kind that we, we would, would inform people of what they could do in the event of nuclear Armageddon. And um, it was put out by uh, an agency called the Futile Preparedness Agency. 
and it gave you little tips about what you could do in the event of a direct hit by a, you know, 100 megaton bomb on your home. Uh, it was called Meet Mr. Bomb. And Mr. Bomb was a very cheery, helpful 1950s hydrogen bomb uh, with uh, a wide smile and good teeth and a firm handshake. Um, um, now, Meet Mr. Bomb was quite funny, and uh, Newsweek had said they were going to put it on their cover. So I had, at my own expense, um, 200,000 copies of this printed up. And uh, I had just heard, minutes earlier, from my publisher, that the largest distributor in the Southwest um, had read Mr. Bomb, and he had not enjoyed it. He was a Razorback Reaganite, and uh, he had shredded every one of the 100,000 copies I'd shipped to him, refused to pay for them, and since I had no money left to sue him, I was effectively bankrupt. Now, the house I was staying in uh, was, to some degree, a house of gloom. It, it belonged to a member of the band. Do you remember that legendary 60s group? Uh, and um, I had once believed that the band was the greatest rock and roll group in history, if not the universe. And, of course, they had broken up a few years earlier um, for the usual egotistical, unnecessary reasons, leaving me bitterly disappointed. And um, the mood that I was in at that point, this breaking up seemed to me to be symptomatic of the age. Uh, things were breaking up, falling apart. They were coming to an end. Uh, Peggy Noonan famously called those years morning in America. To me, they were more like late evening in America. And... Um, uh, worse things than that were happening. I mean, a year before that, uh, a deranged fan had shot John Lennon in, in the street. Uh, not many months before this, uh, a, a death much closer to home had happened, which was that of John Belushi. And um, I had given John Belushi his, uh, his first job, actually, his first starring role uh, in a show I produced for the National Lampoon called Lemmings. And Lemmings was a full-scale parody of Woodstock, at which all the great rock idols got theirs. And John was the sort of satanic MC of all this and was absolutely brilliant and Lemmings became a big off-Broadway hit and John was launched on his stellar career and his equally magnificent drug habit, which had just killed him. My first marriage was in ruins and um, I knew that basically it was my fault. And um, it seemed to me somehow appropriate that I was in California. <laughs> because California is the end I mean, it's the end of America. You can't go any further, right? It's, um, after that, it's 5,000 miles of oceanic night, and then you get to China, and it all starts over again. And it was also appropriate that somehow this magnificent sunset was sliding gradually underneath the horizon into Stygian darkness. And for the first time in my life, I just wondered what the hell was the point in going on. Now, whoever owned this house... Robbie Robertson or Richard Manuel, whoever it was, um, was kind enough to have left a quart of vodka in it. And I also had with me my very first prescription for Valium. I'd always hated downers and I'd never taken them, um, but, um, but I'd been sleeping badly and my doctor said this was the, this was the answer. So uh, these two things um, taken together seemed to me to present a, a, a perfect opportunity. Um, so I laid out 10 Valium. I figured that's how many it would take. I took a big, big slug of vodka and um, took my first Valium ever. And then took another slug of vodka. Nothing much seemed to happen. So I took two more Valium. 
and a really big hit of vodka this time. Still nothing. Clearly this wasn't going to work. I would have to take the remaining seven Valium and get it over with. And so I took a really big hit of vodka to prepare myself for this step and I picked up the Valium and I looked at them in my hand for a long time and I fell asleep. <laughs> And um, about 14 hours later, I woke. <laughs> and I was still just as suicidal, but now I had a massive hangover, too. And I remember through the fog that I was supposed to be on a movie set, to be precise, about four hours earlier. And uh, it was the last thing in the world I wanted to do, was be in a mo movie set, and especially a movie about rock and roll, which at this point I hated. And it, uh, it didn't have a script, this movie. It had to be totally improvised, and I'd never improvised in my life either. But I was a professional, so I jumped in my car and sped across the Malibu Hills and um, to the location, and uh, they rushed me into a harem wardrobe and so forth and so on, and rushed me to the set, and there were the three stars of the movie, looking absolutely hilarious in their fright wigs. And the set was actually a limo, and I was placed in the limo uh, with them, and um, somebody yelled, action, and we were underway. <laughs> and they were brilliant. None of them was British, but they all had perfect British accents. And they were being incredibly funny in character, intimidatingly funny. And I knew that very soon, one of them would turn to me and say something, and I would have to answer. <laughs> now, I'd done a little homework. I'd uh, read up on improvisation, and I'd talked to all my friends who'd been in improv groups, and, and the consensus seemed to be that there was one basic rule you had to follow. Listen. You can't bring anything preconceived to improvisation. You must just listen, not just to what people are saying, the other people are saying, but to what their faces are saying, what their bodies and their, and their movements are saying. And if you do that, just simply answer what you hear, it will work. And now the moment came. The character called David was turning to me, and he was saying something to me. And I could see in his face that his character thought my character was pretty sleazy that this character, whose name was Ian, lied a lot. And out of, my, out, of my my, out of my mouth came this voice that wasn't really mine. It was sort of evasive and sort of slimily ingratiating. And it had that kind of nasal whine, you know, that was beginning to creep into everyday English. And it worked. It was amazing. I mean, the scene was enabled to continue being funny. I mean, I wasn't funny, but I helped them be funny. And, um, and uh, my friend, the director, was very happy with the scene, so we did another take of it, and he was even happy with that. And then we did another scene and another scene, and pretty soon the day was over, and I had completely forgotten all thoughts of offing myself. <laughs> but more importantly, something quite wonderful was happening, which was this, these stars and the extended cast, and myself too, we were all in some way on the same emotional page. We had all sort of arrived at this deep disillusion and disappointment with this wonderful music that when we were younger we had had such high hopes for, that we actually thought some of us would, um, would change things, would bring peace and, and, and rationality into life, would, uh, would end racism and war, you remember? And it had betrayed us, and it had been betrayed for us, and it had, it had been a source of failures and disappointments and vulgarity and stupidity and absurdity and pretension and so on. And this whole cast was just coming into that. 
and, and, and devising and finding all these wonderful ways in which venality and cynicism and, and so forth had, um, you know, had, had poisoned this whole, uh, this whole area of the art, of the art world. And um, it wasn't the big sort of comedic set pieces that I loved. It was the little tiny ones where we would find out new dimensions of this. Uh, and the, I'll just give you a quick example. This is actually my, the favorite scene, at least one of the favorite scenes that I'm in. Um, and um, and, and it's, it's, it's sort of in the middle somewhere. Uh, and it's, a, it's about Nigel, who's the lead guitarist, uh, being backstage before, before a concert. And a large amount of food has been d- delivered to Nigel. And he's not at all happy with it. And um, he's, 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 specifically, there's, there's um, some very small slices of bread which have been delivered with this. And Nigel just doesn't understand. I don't see how the bits of meat, how they're too small. The bread's too small for the meat. Look, you see, it won't work. I want big meat. I want big bread, okay? And, and, um, and it is Ian's job, my character's job, to talk this moron down, you know. <laughs> So that he can go out on stage and play the loudest music in the world uh, to brain-dead teenagers, and they keep buying tickets. That's his job. And, um, and Ian does it in this kind of mothering, like, he's like a kind aunt, you know? And, um, and, and, and yet at the same time, it's incredibly cynical, incredibly manipulative, and so on. So anyway, that, that sort of body of work came together uh, after, uh, throughout this. It was just a wonderful, wonderful shoot. And I would actually venture to say that... Um, that Spinal Tap actually isn't a mockumentary. Because of this wonderful cinematographer we had, Peter Smokler, um, it was actually a documentary record of a, of a really fascinating collective comedic experiment that took place at a certain point in time and couldn't have been at any other point in time. And that was a success. And I think that's why it sort of works. That's where it gets its edge and authenticity. And um, I have one little epitaph to this. I haven't the foggiest idea what it means, but I'm going to throw it in anyway. Uh, this was about five years later, and uh, Spinal Tap was sort of, had been out for about three years and was sort of on its way to becoming a, the minor classic that it became. And um, I got into a cab in, uh, in New York, and my, my driver was a quintessential acid casualty. <laughs> uh, I mean, he had, you know, he had one of those beribboned kind of ponytails down to his ass crack, you know. And, um, and, he, and, he, and he peered in the rearview mirror and he said, Hey, man, weren't you in Spinal Tap? And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, I played the manager, yeah, he said. And he said, oh, man, I really dig their music. It's so far out. He said, you know, man, I was into Tap before they made that movie. Hello, I'm Stanley Sherman. And I'm his wife, Rita Sherman. We're the people in the car ahead of you in traffic. The white SUV. And we're here to encourage you to subscribe to the Final Edition podcast. We are very interested in things. We appreciate a show that takes time to examine the issues. It makes us more informed voters. Whether to go to the right or go to the left or go straight or stop and consider our options. Well, the light is green up ahead, so we better slow down. This will take all my concentration. Be careful, Stanley. I know. The Final Edition Podcast. 
we have one. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the final edition. I am Gil Barron. And I'm Ben Kirshner. Uh, now, Gil and I are celebrating the one-year anniversary of us writing and performing on the National Lampoon Presents, the final edition podcast. Available wherever fine pods are cast. So, for our anniversary, we thought it would be special to remember some of the great characters, skits, spoofs, and boofs we've been a part of. That's right, Ben. So, to get us started, but, we're going to- But, but, before we start- Oh. I just wanted to say, Gil Barron is not impotent. I'm sorry, what? Gil Barron, of the final edition, is as potent as you or me. Maybe more, even. Uh, I don't understand. Ben, why are you bringing up my potency? I just want to reassure all our loyal fans that the great comedy they've been hearing for the last year is made by the hilarious Ben Kirshner, and the not-at-all-impotent Gil Barron. Okay, that's that's very nice. It's just, when you point out that I'm not impotent, it sounds like you're saying that I am impotent. What? No, that's crazy, Gil. Only a person who couldn't hear the word not would think that. I very clearly said that you're not impotent, despite the rumors. What rumors? The rumors that you're impotent. What? Where are these rumors? Podcasts. What podcasts? Well, this one. But that rumor didn't exist until you brought it up. Right. And I dispelled it. You're welcome. And not impotent. I know I'm not impotent. That's the right attitude. I mean, the word itself says, I'm potent, right? But I am not impotent. That's the spirit. You'll lick this thing yet. There's nothing to lick. Well, I'm sure that's not true, buddy. You're probably just tired or you haven't met the right girl. Hey, stop it. People are going to think I'm impotent. No, guys, he's not impotent. I'm not! This is crazy. You know nothing about my virility. Your virility? What the hell are you talking about? You keep saying I'm not impotent in a way that makes it seem like I am impotent. You're imp- oh! Oh! <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> this has been a huge mistake. Wow. Look, everyone, look, for Gil's sake. I would like to apologize. I know absolutely nothing about Gil's masculinity. Thank you. Finally. I meant to say Gil's not important. Totally left out the R. What? A, that's just a silly mistake. You're the worst. Also, I've heard he can't get erections. And now, two Russian men who are not gay. I am Ivan Alexander Dmitry Petrovich. And I am Dmitry Petrovsky Ivanovich Alexandrov. And we wish to congratulate our country for successful non-gay Olympics. Russia took much criticism for outlying the talking about the gay, but it is important. Like most other people who are not gay, Dimitri and I are all the time thinking what gay people do and how they kiss and what it is all the time feeling like to do gay things. How rough man's face is and what they put in their hands and what they say. And how they take off pants or take each other's pants or give massage. Or is it light massage or hard massage? Or whether there is candles and romance or whether it is rough sex. Very rough sex. Oh, you will, you will know you've done something. Or maybe it starts gentle and turns rough. 
I hear gay people do this. They are of anything capable. I hear they have a word they can say, a, a code word, a safe word when things get too rough. Which word? Can be any word. Can be zebra or giraffe. Mm, no, I don't like those. I would not remember. So we just want to congratulate Mother Russia for taking stand and having Olympics with no gay. And also our congratulations to all the athletes. Whether you won gold medal or not, we very much admired watching you in Olympics. Especially weightlifters. Oh, yes, weightlifters. Most of all. Dedicated listeners to the Final Edition Radio Hour may have recognized a theme running through our shows the last three months or so. That theme is this. At the end of every episode, we will play the classic piece of satire, Deteriorata, in honor of Donald Trump's presidency. We'll play this until he is gone, and our place in the universe is restored. Go placidly amid the noise and waste, and remember what comfort there may be in owning a piece thereof. Avoid quiet and passive persons, unless you are in need of sleep. Rotate your tires. Speak glowingly of those greater than yourself, and heed well their advice, even though they be turkeys. Know what to kiss, and when. Consider that two wrongs never make a right, but the three do. Wherever possible, put people on hold. Be comforted that in the face of all aridity and disillusionment, and despite the changing fortunes of time, there is always a big future in computer maintenance. Remember the Pueblo. Strive at all times to bend, fold, spindle, and mutilate. Know yourself. If you need help, call the FBI. Exercise caution in your daily affairs, especially with those persons closest to you. That lemon on your left, for instance. Be assured that a walk through the ocean of most souls would scarcely get your feet wet. Fall not in love, therefore, it will stick to your face. Gracefully surrender the things of youth, birds, clean air, tuna, Taiwan, and let not the sands of time get in your lunch. Hire people with hooks. For a good time, call 606-4311. Ask for candy. Take heart amid the deepening gloom that your dog is finally getting enough cheese. And reflect that whatever misfortune may be your lot, it could only be worse in Milwaukee. You are a fluke of the universe. You have no right to be here. And whether you can hear it or not, the universe is laughing behind your back. Therefore, Make peace with your God, whatever you conceive him to be, hairy thunderer or cosmic muffin. 
with all its hopes, dreams, promises, and urban renewal, the world continues to deteriorate. Give up. You are a Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening to the Final Edition Radio Hour. The voices of the Final Edition Radio Hour are performed by Bruce Cherry, Jim Dodd, Jim Earl, Rob Gordon, Tony Hendra, Keith Saltahanes, Gil Barron, Ben Kirchner, John Gutierrez, Megan Gallagher, Samantha Gerwitz, Sean Ari Lehair, Jeff Chrysler, James Mount, Barry Lank, John Marshall, Ebby Parker, Jessica Park, Kurt Weitzman, Rachel Rauch, Andrew Danish, Anne Tuchel, Rob Miller, Kayla Merrill, and Leslie Shapira. The writers of the final edition, Kit Lively, Bruce Cherry, Jen Dodd, Rob Gordon, Tony Hindra, Jeff Chrysler, John Marshall, Barry Link, James Mount, Gil Barron, Ben Kirchner, John Gutierrez, Jessica Park, Kurt Weitzman, Leslie Shapira, Melinda Hughes, Jeremy Rayburn, Steve Rosenfield, and Peter Kleinman. The final edition is produced and directed by Tony Hendra and Jeff Chrysler. West Coast production by Barry Lank. Audio edited and engineered by Greg Russ and Andrew Hammond. The final edition radio hour is the property of the final edition LLC copyright 2014. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.